Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Have you ever heard of a barracuda, also known as a bilker, a bunco, a hustler, a swindler, a crook, or, perhaps most familiar, a con man? Barracuda. I know, isn't that cool? One of those? That's, uh, that is a synonym for a con artist. I've never heard this before, Ben. <laughs> well, neither have I, Noel. <laughs> have you, super producer Casey Pegram? That is not a usage I'm familiar with. Let's bring it back. I think we should. Welcome to the show. This is Ridiculous History. And I've got to say, Noel, you know how sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, uh, sometimes when I'm doing research, I'll fall into a tangential rabbit hole? Of course. So in our time researching this episode, I fell into a rabbit hole of con artist culture. And synonyms, clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And grifters. Oh, we should have said grifter. That's my favorite. And all the different slang terms attributed to this, this subculture, this industry. And today's show does ultimately concern what I have to say is an objectively impressive grift. Yeah, an, an objectively impressive grift from an objectively detestable human person. Oh, yeah. Oh, terrible. Garbage train of a person for sure. And often described as an adventurer which seems like a cool job title, but we'll find in his case is maybe a little more generous than he deserves. But, Noel, could you introduce us to this fellow, Gregor McGregor? Gregor McGregor. Sounds made up. But wait till you hear his, uh, his, his, other, his other name. Um, yeah, he sort of, he once was a rosy-cheeked young lad uh, from the Scottish Highlands. He came from fighting stock, as this uh, fantastic article from History Today by Victor Allen points out. You see, his grandfather um, was a well-known Klansman. That's not a, like a Ku Klux Klansman, a Klansman uh, in the uh, Scottish tradition, um, whose name in Gaelic was Gregor the Beautiful. And he was a member of something called the Black Watch mm -hmm. and also um, kind of became an important figure in a region called 
Inverdeen in Bredelbane, and he became something called a laird, which I imagine to be a lord. Right, right. And those terms are also not made up. I, we have to point out that this Gregor the Beautiful thing was probably not meant uh, sarcastically, like Little John or something. No. He wasn't a super ugly dude. No, I think he was probably a bit of a hunk because his grandson, Gregor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in all the portraits that we've been able to find of him, mm-hmm. a pretty dashing figure. Real smoke show. Real, absolutely yeah, smack. absolutely. Well, welcome to the... Wow. Wow, <laughs> man. You got some feels about Gregor. Oh, no. I, I just wanted an excuse to use this wonderful phrase that John Oliver used recently. Oh, what? A smoke show or a snack? Absolute snack. That's good. He described yeah. it, and I thought, Wow, John yeah. Oliver, that's pretty racy well, for you. And I'll tell you, uh, one thing that's very snackable about him are his delicious mutton chops because they are <laughs> a thing of beauty, my friend. So he had a career, a military career, a pretty storied military career, sure. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had years and years of service in the British Army. And let's let's talk a little bit about how he got wrapped up in all these military shenanigans and escapades. McGregor, you see, joined the British Army at 16, which was the, you have to be at least 16 to join the Army at this time. He joined in April 1803. Oh, wait, we have to go back. Did we say when he was born? December 1786. Crucial. Yes. Crucial deed. Crucial deed. Crucial deed. The 24th of December, in fact. Anyhow, fast forward, he's 16, April of 1803, he signs up for the British Army. His family had purchased a commission for him to serve as an ensign in the 57th West Middlesex Regiment of Foot. What do you mean purchased a commission for him? They, like, bought his way into a cushy military job? Yeah, bought his way to officer status. So ah. it cost around uh, 450 pounds. Interesting. Because his family's pretty well off at sure, this sure, point. Sure, sure, you know, sure. Yeah, he's a, a, la- he's a laird. Yeah, he's got a landed grandfather, right. So when he enters the military funny story. Uh, At the same time, something called the Napoleonic Wars is occurring in Europe. I feel as though we've heard of this before. I think so. I think so. Longtime listeners uh, may may have a vague image of bunnies hopping into their heads. Yeah, and steamy fanfic involving our boy Napoleon and Alexander the Tsar. Yeah. Yes. It was bizarre, to say the least. It's worth it. Thank you. I'll be here for the rest of the show. Good. I need you. I need you, Ben. I need you. Are you going to stay for the rest of this show, too? We'll see. Okay, great. We'll play it by ear. And that's what McGregor was doing. Nice. Thanks. So he does serve in the military, and at this time, he is actually doing the work. Uh, In February of 1804, less than a year into his training, he is promoted without purchasing a commission. So he earns the rank of lieutenant. And this is important because that kind of advancement usually takes much longer, like three years. Yeah. And what was he like in his 20s? He would uh, still not be 20. He would be around like maybe just about to turn 18. This is in 1804. That's right. And as he is serving the British Army, he is still networking with people. He meets uh, the daughter of a Royal Navy admiral named Maria Bowater, and she had a pretty hefty dowry. Didn't he? Didn't he wife her up? He did. He did. He wifed her up. Uh, he also bought the rank of captain for about nine hundred pounds. 
and he could have waited to get the promotion to earn it, but that would have taken seven years, and he was a man on a mission. A lot of palms being greased in this situation, aren't mm-hmm. there, Ben? Yeah. And I think we're already seeing some foreshadowing of our boy uh, Gregor McGregor's slippery nature. That's right, Noel, and we see his extroverted nature go international pretty soon uh, when he is in his 20s. He doesn't just stay in Europe, you see. Uh, He is interested, intrigued by the colonial revolts against Spanish rule in Latin America, particularly Venezuela. Venezuela. And he kind of joins forces or offers his services to, I guess, um, this guy, Simon Bolivar. Bolivar. Bolivar, right. Who yeah. is like the head or the leader of the this kind of rebellion. Uh, his mm-hmm. nickname was the Liberator, in fact. Earned uh, that nickname by liberating um, what is now the republics of Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Panama, Uh, and Bolivia Mm -hmm. um, made them sovereign states and freed them from Spanish rule. And this is all in the midst of that hubbub there, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So how does a a young Scotsman throw his hat in the ring to a (laughs) a revolt like this? I guess they needed all the help they can get or what? Mm -hmm. They need all the help we could get. Also, we should point out that in December of 1811, Maria McGregor had passed away. Uh, So he is now no longer a married man. When he arrives in Venezuela, it's not long after an earthquake has destroyed a lot of the city. This is in April of 1812. Uh, Some of the country was under control of advancing royalist armies. The revolutionary government was starting to collapse on itself and break into different factions McGregor didn't want to talk about his titles in, you know, in, in his European life. He wanted to seem pretty legit to the Republicans. So he kept calling himself Sir Gregor. And then he started claiming he was a knight of the Portuguese order of Christ. And then he offered his services to Venezuelan revolutionaries. The first one he offered his service to was a guy named uh, Francisco de Miranda. And Francisco ended up being a pretty good person for McGregor to know. We'll see throughout this that McGregor uses people and throws them away. He had promoted McGregor eventually to brigadier general in 1812. But he also, this guy Miranda, um, was really fascinated by the idea of kind of having a new Incan Empire in South America, mm-hmm. like where the streets would be paved with gold and the, the trees would be overflowing with ripe fruit and it would be just this like kind of Shangri-La or Eden type paradise, right? Mm-hmm. And this was a notion that I think he started implanting in uh, McGregor's head that uh, will kind of come out uh, in, in the story very, oh, very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. So eventually things go wrong for Francisco de Miranda, who apparently had also, just a side note here, been uh, knocking boots with Catherine the Great. Did you see that? Just occasionally, I think. Just occasionally. Uh They didn't want to put a label on it. No. You know what I mean? They're very forward thinking. It was was complicated. It was a time of revolution. So, uh, unfortunately, Francisco de Miranda had been captured by Spanish forces, and he had been shipped off to prison where he spent four years chained to a wall. McGregor, however, 
despite losing his patron at this point or his main connection with the military structure, he continues on his journey and he makes a name for himself. People say, hey, have you guys seen how brave that guy is? Have you seen what a great leader he is? Or more likely, I held my hand in front of the mic like I'm whispering. I, I want I want everyone to know that I did that, even though you can't You're see still it. Still doing it. I'm still doing You're it. Still doing it. I'm feeling I'm feeling this moment, Noel, because yeah, they said he's courageous and they said he was a great leader. Look at those chops. Look at those beautiful, gorgeous mutton chops. <laughs> right. Or did he just make up stories wherein he looked courageous and looked like a good leader? Yeah, but that's the thing, though. In and around this time, and it'll become even more apparent once our boy kind of makes the trip back to his home country in London, mm. things were not so good. People wanted heroes. They wanted mm. to believe these kinds of stories. They wanted to look up to someone like this guy and be able to say, hey, look at that shining example of a man with those <laughs> delightful mutton chops. I want to follow that guy. That's a really good context to put on this, and I think you're absolutely correct. People need a hero, right? Uh, and whether he is a real hero or not, uh, it's debatable. We'll we'll leave that decision to you folks. Regardless, he rose from the position of staff colonel to the general of division in the Army of Venezuela in New Granada when he was only 30 years old. And he was kicking keisters and taking names. He fought in a ton of battles and still leagued up with this Venezuelan um revolutionary right 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 and he became known for these epic campaigns and his role in these pivotal decisive battles uh, attracts national attention and and simone bolivar who we mentioned just a second ago also comes in person to award mcgregor these various accolades for his actions of wartime. Yeah, like serious accolades. He uh, was awarded uh, the insignia of the Order of the Libertadores, which was the name of the uh, militaristic group that Bolivar headed up. And McGregor was uh, more than ready and willing to capitalize on these accolades um, in, you know, in, in, in order to earn some serious coin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He got married again to a relative of the Supreme Commander, Bolivar, and he also found that peace was sort of a a letdown to him, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, not only that, it's just like in peace, there's, there's no money to be made. And that's what he was after. Where's the next grift? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because I don't know, it's weird. He's, he's up to now... He does. He certainly is part of some some conflicts that make him seem like you could view him as some kind of like military genius or, you know, some kind of like war hero. But it does feel like he was rising in the ranks all the while, sometimes using payoffs and mm -hmm. sometimes, um, you know, throwing people under the bus and using people for their influence. But it all seemed pretty self-serving. But I don't know. Maybe that's just politics. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is because he continued fighting his own kind of private war. And so after his time in Venezuela, where he finds peace anticlimactic and let's be honest, not all that profitable, he leads a series of independent military campaigns in the Caribbean. And history.com has a great uh, as a great article on this by Evan Andrews, but I don't want to read the title yet because we don't want to spoil the story. He did something pretty interesting. 
he just arbitrarily would promote the people who worked for him, the different freebooters that he was hiring and mercenaries. And like, oh, I like the cut of your jib. You're uh, you're a lieutenant now. You're on my crew. <laughs> right. And his big tent campaign in this period of his life was the brief capture of Florida's Amelia Island from the Spanish. He also was not the most impressive military commander, at least by this point. Uh, he was known to immediately desert his army. There you go. Here's some chinks in the armor, Ben. Give it yeah, to me. Yeah, he was because he cultivated this image of himself, mm -hmm. and then clearly that was more important than actually being, you know, a good guy or an effective leader. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the truth. That's what we were alluding to earlier when we talked about his courage and his leadership. It turns out that he, as long as everything was going fine for his army, he was completely on board and 100% down for the cause. However, if things appeared to go south, sideways, or pear-shaped, as they say in the UK, he would ghost. But he still kept his knack for self-promotion and deception. So the accounts he would tell of various military conflicts differed from the accounts everybody else would tell. And he became known, at least in this area of the world, that's a very important detail, as a bit of a blustering braggart, but still, still a charmer, just very self-aggrandizing, and a guy who thought he was the smartest person in the room and was convinced that he could sell anyone on anything. Yeah, and as we're going to find out, he kind of could. <laughs> yes. Should we just jump there? Oh, we definitely should. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
we can jump there in the form of a slight lead up in that he kind of waged what uh, the History Today article very astutely describes as a private war, where he um, included in that was that capture of that fortress that you mentioned. But most importantly, him and his associates, these this, this band of brigands, I guess, that he sort of amassed, landed mm-hmm. on the mainland of Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, where there is a stretch of coast a region called the Mosquito Coast. Yes, also known as the uh, Mosquito Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is this is an important part here. Nowadays, it's uh, the eastern coast of Nicaragua and Honduras, just a little bit of southern Honduras shares this area. But the Mosquito Coast was generally thought of as the domain of the Mosquito or Mosquito Kingdom, and they had an interesting tension in this area between the British, the U.S., and the countries of Nicaragua and Honduras. Well, not to mention the Native American, the, the, the Native people, the, the mosquito, mosquito Indians, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And we had a strange situation here because the Mosquito people had their own rulers or kings, and they had a specific name, right? Yeah, that's right, Ben. They had something of a king who was called the cacique. Yeah, a series uh, of kings. Yeah, series of kings. This is the, the cacique, uh, king of the Mosquito Indians. Um, and this individual made a bit of a devil's bargain with our boy McGregor. Yeah, and so for context, the cacique, the kings of the this area of the Mosquito people, allowed foreigners to settle in their lands so long as their overall sovereignty was respected. And a lot of British merchants and Garifuna people from Honduras took advantage of this. And one of these kings, one of these caziques, makes a deal with Gregor McGregor for, I believe it was 30 30 miles of land? That's right. Yeah. Uh, And it was on... Uh, what's known as the Poyas Shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that land grant, that, that surely was on the up and up when mm-hmm. he made this deal, right? Surely every all, all the all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm convinced. Uh-huh, yeah. So with this deal having been made, McGregor uh, makes his way back to England, to London in particular, uh, making some pretty outrageous claims. Right, yeah, so after he makes this deal in 1820, he becomes a whole new Gregor McGregor. He is the Prince of Poyas. Uh, He's named his newfound dominion Poyas, and boy is Poyas a great place. This is where we see the inspiration he received from Miranda's vision of a new Incan empire popping back up again. Uh, He described this place in very uh, hyperbolic fascinating, almost too good to be truish terms. Yeah, like stuff like flowing with milk and honey, you know, fruit trees spilling with delicious ripe fruit, water so pure that that it would quench any thirst, I think was one of them, right, Ben? Mm -hmm. And he claimed he was the Kazik or the king slash prince of this area, and that this was an obscure but prosperous nation, and not only... Was it a hidden gem across the sea? But it was an act now 
situation because you see Londoners, you too can be part of the dream. The Kazik of Poyas has come on a mission to solicit investments and to recruit potential settlers. That's right. And there's a super cool excerpt from a book by Maria Konnikova mm-hmm. that is on uh, the BBC um, that talks about some of the psychological principles of persuasion mm-hmm. uh, that con men use, in particular, that Gregor McGregor used. Do you want to talk through some of those? Sure. Let's, let's round robin it. There are six. The first is reciprocity. Reciprocity. I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. Coming from McGregor, hey, I'm giving you this uh, chance of a lifetime. All you got to do for me is give me all your money. Mm -hmm. And then consistency of behavior, meaning that whether it is true or a lie, I am going to believe the same thing I did yesterday. That's right. Exactly. Then we have social validation, which is super important because it's Basically, like if I'm saying to you, Ben, mm. Ben, you got to do this. It's going to make you a real, uh, real true Scotsman, a real true man's man, a Robinson Crusoe type, you know, going out and taming the wilds. And at the same time, it's going to be awesome. So don't worry about it. Yeah. And there's there's a clever thing there, too, because the social validation there is. I have specifically chosen you to be part of this. Yes, group. for your merits that are just on display, it's Ben. So clearly, apparent, yeah. I want you to be part of my new utopia. Also, and this is just between us. I like you as a person. That's number four. You know, we're we're friends. We're, friends. we're buddies. We're, we're pals. Friends. Yeah. You know, you're you're pal with the Kazik of Poya. How cool is yeah. that? And here's a really important one. And you see, it's funny. You see a mix of these being used in everything from like offers on Facebook and things to, like, ticket sales. You notice how every time you see an ad for, like, concert tickets, they always say, they're really going quick. Act now. Going quick. Get them now. You got to get them while they're hot uh, because there's just not enough to go around because it's just such an amazing opportunity. Um, And if you don't do it, Mm. somebody else will. So you better hop on it. And then finally, what do we have? Yes, finally, authority. I know what I am talking about. Oh, Says the grifter. And not only that, this is my favorite part of this whole story, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, McGregor actually wrote a book. Yes. Under an assumed name um, called (laughs) Sketch of the Mosquito Shore, including the territory of Poyas. Mm -hmm. And it was written by a man uh, by the name of... Thomas Strangeways. It's Thomas Strangeways. Captain Thomas Strangeways. Oh, yes. Pardon I the believe. hell out of me, yeah, Captain no, Thomas Strangeways. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, everything, all signs point to this was, in fact, McGregor. So he was, like, laying the, the groundwork for this grift. This was a long con, man. Yeah, and people did not have the same, I, I guess... I don't want to say wherewithal, but they didn't have the same resources. Access to fact-checking. Right, that we have today to verify information. So Thomas Strangeways, oh, excuse me, again, Captain Thomas Strangeways, just had a really interesting name, sounded like a great, well-traveled adventurer, and in very idyllic, bucolic terms, described this hitherto unknown nation of Poya. Yeah, and he described it just as we described it, mm-hmm. just as McGregor described it, as this place, oh, gold, 
just overflowing from the river. Everywhere. Just everywhere. Lousy with gold. And here's the thing with that authority point of persuasion, mm-hmm. this is makes it even better because he's saying, Don't don't take my word for it. Mm-hmm. Check out this guy, Captain Strangeways. He's <sighs> been there. He wrote a book about it. Who would write a book about it if it wasn't true? Yeah. I was quite delighted to find that uh, my tiny Beautiful Nation was the subject of a book you seem well-read. You've surely heard of the sketches, right? Here, here's a little, little snippet, yeah, do a little a little little snippet from do the preface. Uh, Mosquito Shore, including the territory of Poyas, being impressed with a thorough conviction of the immense benefit, which not only uh, the native tribes of Mosquitia, but the neighboring countries in general must derive from the civilization and improvement of one of the fairest portions of the globe, has endeavored in the following mm-hmm. sheets to attract the attention of enlightened Europeans to the subject. By combining the knowledge of its history, natural productions, the best mode of culture, and etc., which he acquired during a portion of his life spent in that part of the world. This is... Was that your Matt Perry? I don't know. Kind of. It was, it was, it was, yeah. Yes. (laughs) No, but so this is, this is so meta because this is McGregor writing a preface Uh like, you know, himself... Four strange ways. Four strange ways. Yeah. Who is also himself. And it's it's long preference. We know that sounded like a long thing, but that's just an excerpt. It's just an excerpt. But the point is, is from the start, it reads like a treatise for how awesome this place is. It's like like a timeshare pamphlet or an infomercial that purports to be a documentary. Right. And at this time, uh, now that he's reinvented himself as the Kazik, as His Highness Gregor, uh, he is a fixture in London's high society. Wealthy aristocrats set him and his wife up in a country home. The Lord Mayor holds a banquet in his honor. And people start to trust him because he's charming and he cites all his past military achievements. And you know what? I've got to stop just for a second. Strange Ways is just such a terrible, terrible name. It's like Timmy McReal name. Well, I mean, Gregor McGregor's not great either. Yeah. But it's real. Yeah, but that's the real one. That's just so weird. I'm not making fun of uh, Scottish names. I just think any name where, like, the first name and the last name are the same, inherently mm-hmm. absurd sounding to me. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, Humbert, Humbert, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. But even though he's Gregor McGregor, excuse me, His Highness, the Kazik Gregor, he is really and genuinely winning people over because he doesn't just come with great stories. He doesn't just come with a book that he didn't write. He also, you see, has tons and tons of official documents, all kinds of paperwork. He has a handwritten land grant from the Mosquito King, which is a great band name. Uh, He has a national flag. He has charts and maps showing the location and border of Poyas. I think he even had some currency from the Bank of Poyas. Yes, he has currency. I, I think they call it, what, one hard note? Oh, and it says at the bottom, yeah. by order of his highness, Gregor Kazik of Poyas. Yes, and uh, he the the problem with all this yeah, stuff— one that, hard dollar. One hard dollar, Ooh. which is a weird phrase. A little bit. Yeah, but the problem with all of this documentation is that— Almost all of it is entirely fabricated by him. He has he has made up these dollars. Ben, do you remember that crazy fraudulent music festival called Firefest that uh, happened uh, yeah. last year with uh, Ja Rule? I think I was think associated. Ja Rule was involved. That's right. But basically, what it was was this total bait and switch where they were selling these premium packages to you know 
rabid, bougie concert goers sure. uh, to go to this like private island where this mm-hmm. concert was going to be held, and uh, everyone showed up. And they're supposed they're expecting all these crazy accommodations and There's like nothing. there was nothing. It was just trash. It was these like crappy tents. There was just like you know no sand food, and no, no food. Just, just just totally filthy yeah. and an absolute you know just complete uh, grift. That's what the uh, the handful of hapless settlers who abandoned their homes uh-huh. for a better life uh, under the uh, benevolent. Uh, you know, a hand of the Kazik of, of Poyas, that's what they found. Well, yeah, it sounds crazy, but let's let's step back a little and see how it happened because he floats a 200,000-pound sterling Poyas bond in the London money market, and then he also starts selling land and titles to would-be colonists. And you could get a pretty good deal. For just 11 pounds, you could purchase 100 acres of Poya farmland and if you were a little more well-to-do, you could buy a post as an officer in the military, the same way the <gasps> Kazik became. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, pay it forward. You pay know? it forward, uh-huh. you know, in the sleaziest way possible. And how crazy that the, the, the value of those bonds you mentioned mm-hmm. just ballooned over time. Yeah, yep. And in September of 1822, a ship called the Honduras Packet, set sail from London with, as, as you said, a, uh, a handful of people bound for Poya, probably with their land deeds clutched in their hands. And that first ship uh, only took about, what, uh, several dozen people? Yeah, and there's a second one called the Kinnersley Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe between the two, there was 250 folks in total. Uh, and they were just expecting paradise, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as 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 well they should have, given you know the the salesmanship of of our guy McGregor. Yeah. So these people who are called poyers, most of them invested their entire life savings in this journey. As you said, Noel, they sold their houses. Some had even converted all their cash to hard poyers dollars. Oh, shaking my head. I feel bad for these hapless saps. Yeah, but, it's terrible. You know, at the same time, ah, it, again though, things were not so hot in the in the world at large, and certainly the, the kind of people that maybe would look at this as an opportunity to start again. Uh, you know, Scotland's pretty bleak. Uh, the weather's not great. Um, it, it, it felt like maybe to some this was a way to break out of their kind of typical humdrum routine and start a new life for what seemed like a too good to pass up deal, which is another part of manipulative techniques of grifters is the idea. There's two um, notions. One is you're spurring somebody towards making a decision that you want them to make. Right. And also making sure that the decision seems like something that they, it would be too, it would be a fool to, to reject this offer because it's just like a no brainer. Right. Yeah. And it's also very helpful. You know, you've done well, when they feel as though it is their own idea. Hey, Kazik, you and I are friends, right? You know what? Poya sounds so good that I would like to go. Uh, Napoleon has just been defeated. The British economy is expanding. And, you know, I'm in a good mood. I think it's a, it's a time to make a change, right? And this works very well for the Kazik at first, but for these poor investors... The poya they were promised is not the poya they find when they land. No, it was that Firefest situation. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. 
They see no farmland. They see mile after mile of dense, nigh-impenetrable jungle. And they are wondering, you know, where where is all the crystal clear water? Where is all the abundant, rich soil we were promised? Where the heck is the civilization you told us about? Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Here's a fantastic excerpt from an account uh, of the time that was reprinted in The Guardian recently. Yeah, this is from the Guardian Archive. It was in print the 25th of October, 1823, by the time that a couple of settlers had made it back. So here's, here it goes. When the immigrants arrived at San Joseph, nothing could exceed their anguish on finding where they expected a fine, flourishing town with nearly 2,000 inhabitants, only two or three ruined huts. Mm. The party exerted themselves vigorously, clearing away some stunted mahogany trees from about 600 yards of sandy ground and erecting a number of little huts and tents with blankets to protect them from the weather. Nearly all of their provisions, however, had been wet and landing as they had been compelled to roll all their barrels for a considerable distance through salt water. The sun in the daytime was intolerably hot and the nights were cold with heavy rain. Uh, so what ended up happening was a lot of people died. They got very sickened because the water was not that pure, clean drinking, you know, water that was right. described. It was brackish. And contaminated yeah. with uh, animal waste as well. So in a very short amount of time, I think 20 people died and everyone who didn't die got sick. And along comes the real Kazik, the king of the Mosquito Indians, he visits them to see what's going on. Yeah, who the heck are you guys? Right. And we have an excerpt that explains this situation pretty well. Try to imagine the king's utter bafflement here. He afterwards sent a letter stating that he had made a grant of 30 miles of land on the Poya shore to Sir Gregor MacGregor three years ago, but that, quote unquote, 
Sir Gregor, having until that time neglected to take possession, he considered the grant as void, and that had he then known Sir Gregor as he did now, he would never have made the grant. He would oppose the settlement of anyone belonging to Sir Gregor within his territory and prescribed as the condition of their remaining in peace that they should abjure Sir Gregor and swear allegiance to him. So in other words, he he became aware of what a bastard Gregor was. Yeah, yeah. utter bastard. And so at this stage... He also threatens some of these settlers. He says, and we'll paraphrase here, that he could call up 7,000 natives and cut off the entire settler community at one blow. But by this point, by their own admission, the settlers felt themselves past fear. Death was killing everybody off just as surely as the Mosquito King was threatening to do. Bad times, man. There's a really sad little account of a man who was a shoemaker Mm -hmm. who was declared to be the official shoemaker of the princess of Poya, whoever that was. Yeah. And he apparently got so sick that he took his own life by shooting himself while laying dying in a hammock. Yep. And six men tried to get to Honduras in a canoe. They ended up being castaways but they were rescued by a guy named mr bennett who was a mahogany merchant and an overall stand-up dude he learned of what was happening thank god for mr bennett yeah and he sent a ship to take as many settlers as he could to a hospital in honduras and to fetch the rest of them on the second trip however at this point the situation is still Uh, fraught with danger because we mentioned Honduras package, right? That's the first ship with about 50 people. We mentioned Kennersley Castle. Uh, That's the second ship with about 200 people. Mm -hmm. There were two other ships on the way. There was the Albion, which was the third vessel to bring settlers. It was diverted to Belize after they discovered that the previous settlers had abandoned This camp. is so Firefest, dude. This is yeah. like, I mean, this is literally what happened with Firefest. People got trapped on the island. Yeah, they couldn't fly out. A much bougier version of this, but I wonder if, if Ja Rule or whoever the hell was responsible for that looked at this story as like an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the other ship, the Skeen, was sent uh, bringing arms and supplies, also diverted to Belize. And there are also reports that five other vessels were on the way, but in a massive stroke of luck for these vessels, word reached Britain that Poya was entirely made up by that time. So the British Royal Navy intercepted these other five ships and turned them back. And again, this all happened because there was such a scarcity of information and it took forever to contact people, especially over those long distances. All in all, McGregor's swindle here raised 200,000 pounds. But Noel, what happened when people found out about this? 
Well, they were uh, they were justifiably enraged, um, and they were thirsty for McGregor's blood. But by this point, he had already hightailed it out of the country and posted up in France, where I think he <laughs> ran a, 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 a few years more of other scams uh, on the hapless uh, Parisians. Oh, and by the way, uh, if we're going to inflation calculator that amount of money that he raised, sure. it's, it would be in the billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. If we count France, uh, there's a great article from The Economist called The King of Conmen uh, that that does the math for us here. Over his lifetime, those bond market frauds in the in England and in France run to the tune of 1.3 million. And in today's terms, how much is that? That would be 3.6 billion pounds. So that's even pounds. more it's dollars. Even more. <laughs> it's crazy. And yeah, and so a big part of this, I guess, once he got to Paris, mm-hmm. too, I mean, I don't know, it must have been part of it for, for from the start, but this idea of these gold mines, um, you know, selling these parcels of land yeah. with the promise of these imaginary gold mines um, uh, that people would just be able to just like stick their hands in the water and just get, get gold right it's on. It's lousy it. with gold. Lousy with gold. But uh, for whatever reason, um, in this History Today article, they conjecture that maybe Paris was a little too too hot for McGregor and his crew. They came back to London, and yeah. thank God there's a little comeuppance here. They were arrested on sight and uh, imprisoned in uh, a prison called the Tothill Fields. Yeah. Uh, we should note, though, that when he was in France, he was doing the exact same scheme. He didn't even change the name of the right. country. I think that's part of why he was so quickly caught, you know? Uh, and I think I may have spoke too soon, Ben. Yeah. That comeuppance was maybe just the humiliation of being arrested. But uh, as slippery a snake as this dude was, he was able to wriggle his way even out of this one. Yes, that is true. He was in Tothill Fields Bridewell for about a week before he was released without a charge. And then immediately he starts a newer version of the Poya scheme. And this time he calls himself Kazik of the Republic of Poyas. Uh, he sets up a new office and doesn't claim any of the diplomatic status that he had done with the other office. And he starts acting through proxies. He gets another company to act as brokers. Yeah, so he basically smartened up his grift a little bit. Right. And, he, and uh, yeah. separated himself from it somewhat. Right. And he started selling other versions of this. By the time it hit 1828, he was selling certificates entitling holders to land in Poyas proper at five shillings per acre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he goes on publishing these various documents. Paper is power at this time. Oh, yeah. So he, he publishes— mean, If it's printed, yeah, yeah. it must be true. Right. Why would you go to the trouble? Uh, he publishes a constitution for a smaller republic headed by himself as mm-hmm. president. He eventually, despite all his efforts, has a, a bit of a come-to-Jesus moment, as they would call it in the American South, and he understands that the Poya grift— 
is finally done. It's everybody, run its course. Everybody knows. Yes, the everybody horse knows. is dead. Yeah, because he's he's burned through all his money at this point. He's got no friends left to speak of, and so he goes back to the last place where he felt <laughs> beloved, which was uh, old Venezuela, where he still had some connects. He didn't screw anybody over there exactly, right, that I yeah. can think of. So he went back and actually petitioned the government to give him citizenship and restore his military rank. So he ended his life living in Venezuela um, as a general and got a government pension. Yeah, back pay as well and pension. And that's primarily because the defense minister had served alongside McGregor in an expedition in 1816 and said, you know what, this guy is a war hero. And this worked. The part of today's Honduras that was called Poya remains undeveloped today. There are no villages, no abundant farmland, no gold mines that anyone knows about. Uh, but McGregor himself, old Gregor McGregor, passed away a free man on December 4th, 1845. One of the greatest grifters ever lived, just an utter sleazebag. You gotta admire the stones on this guy, though, man. I mean, good lord, just to keep it rolling like this for so long. Ah, oh. yeah. But hopefully, a lesson to be learned, and we hope that you enjoyed this episode as well. Thanks so much for giving us a listen. Yeah, enjoyed. That's it, it's it's another it's another one of these where yes, it's ridiculous, but God, this guy put some people through the ringer. But um. I, I enjoyed learning about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us what you think. And, uh, uh, man, annoying. no. Really? Annoying. It's time, gentlemen. <laughs> Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. Speaking of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a nice little stretch of time since we've had, since you've darkened our studio door. Uh, <sighs> operative word being a nice stretch, mm -hmm. you know. I heard so many complaints about my absence that uh, I could not allow it to continue one breath longer. And so the most cringeworthy segment in all of podcasting has returned. I'm certainly cringing. You're also on a t-shirt. I this am. This has gone too far, some might say. It's a, it's a top seller. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is our non-consensually recurring segment, uh, wherein you, the quizster, also known as Jonathan Strickland. Just kind of materializes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Rises then, my want. Right mm -hmm. when we think we're going to end the show uh, to test our knowledge of historical fact and fiction. How does this work? I present to you a scenario, and I give you three minutes to determine whether said scenario, in fact, represents fact or I made it up -sies. And I could have made up a significant fact within the story and the rest of it be mostly true and it's still fakesies. Oh, wow. Right? So okay. you ask me this every time so I thought I would just get in front of it this there time. There we go, yeah. Because I, it's like you forget how this game works <laughs> every time I come in here. So It's not if, for our benefit, man. If, it's for the, the new listeners who just hear this weirdo popping up out of nowhere and they want to know what gifts. I'm just just making sure because every time Ben says it, it's like he legitimately doesn't remember. Yeah, I, I've got. I'm a I've, little concerned. I've got a pretty good acting range or uh, some emergent issues. Ben's got like it. the memento guy. So if <laughs> it's either all true, or right. or it's fake. 
So I give you the scenario, and then uh, I come up with some sort of uh, arbitrary rule for <laughs> you to follow if you want to ask me a question, which I now realize... I did not think about before I came in here today, so uh, we're going to say, uh, if you wish to ask a question once the time has started, mm -hmm. you will preface that question with, Allons-y! Allons-y? You'll understand why in a moment. Allons-y! <laughs> I will now read to you the scenario, and then at the conclusion, we will start the clock. All right, here we are. On August 21st, 1911, one of the greatest art heists in history took place. A man who styled himself the Marquis Eduardo de Valfierno calmly walked into the Louvre in Paris, France. He waited until no one was paying attention. He lifted Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa off the wall, slid it under his coat, and calmly walked out of the building. He had already sold the Mona Lisa to an interested buyer. Actually, he had sold it to six different interested buyers because he had no intention of parting with the real painting, you see, but rather had six forgeries made. It was the perfect crime. The people purchasing the stolen painting would surely not say anything about it, and they'd have no way of knowing about each other. An accomplice named Vincenzo Perugia was caught, supposedly with one of the forgeries, according to this marquis. Perugia would be tried for the theft and sentenced to serve out a jail sentence. The copy, the forgery, according to Valfierno, would go to the Louvre, where it hangs still. Valfierno told his story to journalist Carl Decker of the Saturday Evening Post years later. The whereabouts of the original Mona Lisa, according to Valfierno, are still unknown. Begin the time. Okay, first off, there's a lot of according to going on in here. So that guy could be lying, but the story about the lie could be true. Yeah, that's a good point, Ben. I don't know, you think it's just to throw us off? I don't know. In the past, the longer ones have been false, but I messed up on that point because I mentioned it in front of Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Quizster. And he made a face. Yeah, he made yeah. a, I'll remember that face. A bit of a smirk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alonzi. Uh, yes, Monsieur Bolin. <laughs> does, does, uh, does anybody else corroborate this story told to the journalist, or is it just the one guy? Oh, no, there have been several corroborations. Okay. Several credible corroborations? Are you asking me to levy judgment upon those who corroborate the story? That does seem like a stretch, Ben. To, to, ans <laughs> to, answer, your, to yeah. answer your question, uh -huh. the, the one account okay. of this, full account of this, is in a 1936 Saturday Evening Post article. I, I seem to recall... The Perugio. I apologize. A 1932. The name. Article. As as being a an art, like a high art thief. Yeah. Or or, or some like if there was a movie or something about it. But I'm wondering if there was some detail that was incorrect. Right. That that renders the whole thing. Ah, uh, Alonzi. What is? Oui, Monsieur Bolin. What is the name of the, uh, the thief again? Uh, it would be Marquis Eduardo de Valfierno. Well, who, is, who, is, who is Perugio? Perugio was an accomplice. Vincenzo oh. Perugio. Okay. 
That's the name that that that, that rings, rings a bell. Rings a bell. Uh, you want you want to go for true? I'm gonna go for true. All right, let's lock it in. Three, two, one, true. true. Oh, I feel so guilty. This one's a tricky one. But uh, no, it's false. It's actually false. You see, you're uh, you're on you're on to something, Monsieur Bolin. Uh, you see. This story was, in fact, told in the Saturday Evening Post in 1932, but Carl uh-huh. Decker was a notorious fibber. Oh, man. Notorious. And there is absolutely no proof that this ever exists. None of these supposed six forgeries have ever surfaced. Uh-huh. The uh, examination of the Mona Lisa at the Louvre has shown that it is, in fact, the original Mona Lisa. In 1911, the Mona Lisa was not even a famous painting outside of France. No uh, one knew about it. Yeah, but Perugia did steal the Perugia Mona Lisa. Perugia did steal the Mona Lisa in 1911 with two Italian accomplices. They spent the night in a janitorial broom closet, uh-huh. woke up in the next morning, and then, well, didn't even wake up. They stayed awake the whole time. Snuck out the <laughs> next morning with the Mona Lisa. Perugia kept it, uh, was afraid to try and even fence it for almost two years, finally get tried to do it in Florence, and the art dealer in Florence said, hang on. Oh, wow. Alerted the authorities. Perugia was, in fact, arrested mm-hmm. and tried for the crime and sentenced to jail. You know how long his sentence was for stealing the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous paintings in all the world? Uh, more than a year. Eight months. Eight months. That's Eight all. Eight months was all. Uh, the Mona Lisa was not very famous in 1911. Yeah. And um, also there was another event that ended up superseding, uh, eclipsing, you might say, mm-hmm. this story. And that little event was the Great War. Right. It broke out in Europe. And that, no one really cared about an art thief at that point. Uh, but yes, this. so the story mm-hmm. was published. Carl Decker did write an article that made these claims, saying that he had met this Marquis Eduardo Valfierno back in 1914. But there is no proof that such a man ever existed, no proof that any forgeries were ever made. And in fact, there are many parts of his story, Decker's Mm -hmm. story, that resemble an earlier story that was published in 1910 about another self-styled nobleman, Count Dalby, who was known to sell forgeries to American millionaires. You know what, though? Okay, first off, thank you. That is an excellent explanation. But I am going to argue that this is a draw due to the complicated and un, uh, unexplored territory that this question represents. It's funny because I'm the one who's in charge of the game. I say I win. <laughs> Besides which, you said the last time that it was an easy one. So... Now on, they're going to be really hard. Oh, and that was me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you know what, though? I've kind of you've worn me down to the point where I just can't even get upset about this anymore. Um, and I, I'm fine with just I'm a glutton for punishment. Let's keep let's keep this rolling. Let's well, do it again. We'll, we'll make it fair. Next time I make one up, I will make one up. I will not take some other famous fraud. And yeah. then present it as if it were true, mm-hmm. because you may remember. Oh, I hear remember hearing that story. That's but right. That's is right. It a real story. Trixie, Trixie, well, devil. Trixie. I'll be, I'll be more honest in my dishonesty. <laughs> well, great. Well, you're a clever antagonist for sure, and uh, this would usually be a great Casey on the case moment. Uh, but he will have to recuse himself because he is actually friends with all of us and may have a difficult time being impartial. 
However, we do want to thank you for coming on the show and helping us and our fellow ridiculous historians learn a little bit more about Art Heist. And I hope the sheer length of this one made up for the last two shorties that we put out. Oh, there we go. That's a good way to look at it. Uh You're nailing these things. What I lack in quality, I make up for in quantity. (laughs) So uh, we want to thank everybody, of course, Thank you, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis, our research associate for today's episode. Thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Uh, Jonathan, I can take him or leave him. Uh, and thanks to you, Ben. Hey, thanks big, to you. Noah. Big thanks to you. Thank you. Uh, merci beaucoup. Oh, man. Is Allons-y. That- <laughs> Whatever. And thanks to you, folks, mm-hmm. listening public. For, for listening. Yeah, find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can join our community page, which we're big fans of, Ridiculous Historians. Jonathan drops by there as well on occasion. If you want to learn more about Jonathan when he is not in his alter ego, uh, you can find him on Tech Stuff and several other shows. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Tech Stuff is a primary show, and I've got other ones coming up soon. And uh, Whoa, you're trying to trick me, Bolin. <laughs> we're still not. <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah, thank you for the shout out. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and and that's it. Noel, do you want to go out and grift some people? Like in a harmless, fun way. Well, like steal candies from some babies or something? Yeah, do some Dennis the Menace type grifting. Victimless crimes. Yes. Sure. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.